0: So in the show notes, you'll always be able to find the link to watch the video on our YouTube channel and make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. Thank you so much for supporting the show and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast. I'm your host Isha Mazouz and on this week's episode, I was joined by Matthew Jones from Exceed. We unpacked the last eight years of his career. His best year to date has been 385,000. He's always been in the data space. And for the last two years, he's been in a hands-off role where he now has four direct reports and is managing 29 people across these teams. Matt has been on an incredible journey. He's been part of a business that went through a significant business event. He's now getting direct access to amazing commercial opportunities like reporting directly to the CEO and COO on how the business is performing. He's really dug deep into understanding how a recruitment business actually makes money. How do they improve the multiplier on their EBITDA? You name it, we talk about it in this conversation where Matt really breaks down how he's got to where he's got to. Why has he been able to always continuously progress his career in an upward trajectory? Matt's humble. He's super smart, and I think you're all going to really enjoy this conversation. Let's get into this week's episode. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. No, really looking forward to this. So I always love sitting down with people that have been in the industry for, you know, you've been in the industry for, for a decade. Just done. Yeah. And you've you've built, you know, an amazing career at XSEED where you've been there for eight and a half years, so I'm always interested to speak to people about... You know how that journey has been, how you've continued to evolve, improve. Because mm-hmm. you know, I think particularly in, in today's day and age, staying at one company for nearly, you know, nine years, yeah, becoming less and less common. Massively, <laughs> we're, we're quite lucky. Exceed, we've got quite good tenure.
1: So I'm part of the furniture, but not the whole set. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a good tenure,
0: there. So let, let's give everyone some immediate context. So we're just saying, yeah. done about ten years in recruitment. We're going to focus on this this journey that you've been on with Exceed. So you've always been a perm recruiter
1: yeah other than i think the first two months of my career where i was put onto salesforce recruitment in france on a contract basis and yeah very quickly Wasn't that vibe, mate. No.
0: and your world for a long time although this isn't the only type of like a market that you're involved in now is has been like data science Correct. has been like yeah, your your sort of trade. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so let's just break this down mate we've got the the career highlight reel mate mm-hmm. going, going through here right so you obviously started as an individual contributor uh, exceed so. 2015 yep. did 95k. 2016 199k. 2017 180k. 2018, which was your best year, 385. Yep. Whilst managing three or four people, then 2019 did the 320. 2020 230. 2021 228. Up until August, but in August 2021 was your last deal. was it? Because um, for the last two years, you've been, you know, continuing to evolve yourself in this like non-billing role, yep. a lot more of a strategic role. So now you are the head of basically the head of UK Perm. Yep. So you basically manage, again, let me know if I get anything wrong. So you have four direct reports. Mm-hmm. They're all like associate directors. Yep. They report to you, got four different disciplines, data, cloud, software, product. Mm-hmm. And then there's 29 recruiters around about uh, in these teams. Yep. So that that is the division that you're responsible for. Yep. And you uh report like directly upwards into the like the C suite. Yeah. So then now we get talking about net fee income, mm-hmm. which is obviously gonna be a term that you're you would have been a lot more familiar with in the yeah. last couple of years. Twenty twenty two NFI for your ecosystem, four million, and then this year should be around two point five. Yeah. Yeah? Uh we will probably about, finish on about three, I reckon. Three. So okay, so yeah, we quite memory. finished. Cool. So a lot a lot to unpack, I think
1: was yeah, a good re- summary. I yeah,
0: know. I'm really, I'm really interested to talk to you about this journey that you've been on. On like being a biller to then mm. like having to report directly to the CEO, COO, talking about the growth, looking at EBITDA and, and profit mm. and these things. So let's start with the million pound question. Mm. What do you believe are the common characteristics and traits that make up a, a top performing recruit in today's market?
1: Yeah, good question. As you said, I'm going to have a lot of bias towards PERM recruitment because that's where I've spent 99% of my career. And I think in PERM as well as contract, but PERM even more so, I'm I'm a big believer in being a genuine SME. So really understanding the market that you recruit in. And that's not just understanding the technologies, watching loads of YouTube videos about what you're actually going and recruiting. That, That obviously helps, but really immersing yourself in that space so that after a few years or so in building, building, building that network, providing a good service, really understanding the community that you're recruiting in, the work's already done for you because you've you've built those relationships over time, you've provided that good service and people are coming back to you with referrals and recommendations. So I think that, that helps stand out in the crowds, yeah, you, can, you can showcase that in terms of events and webinars and podcasts, mm. but ultimately... It's a people business. We're speaking to candidates, we're speaking to clients day in, day out. And the more you can understand what this person does on a day to day in terms of their their job and what they're doing or from the client side, what they're actually looking for, that just increases your credibility and increases your, your personal brand. So that for me is the main one. There's all the the normal stuff about mm. how hard people are working and the organisational skills behind it. I think w- what is probably forgotten about is this is a service-led industry. Maybe not to the extreme of the client is always right and putting them on a pedestal, but definitely providing that good service. So I, I always have a soft spot for hiring people internally for our teams that have, have worked in catering or worked mm. in a bar or hospitality of some sort. or Obviously sales would be great. Because they get that, so yeah, I think the, the SME part for me—that's that's how I carved out my career. That's where I see a lot of our top builders have genuinely built their brand within it, mm. understand the space, and are passionate about the space. But those other bits around organisation, how hard people are working, is obviously important as well. Mm.
0: Curious, just to ask you—I I really agree on the SME piece. It's mm. something that yeah, I've continued to really delve myself, like really lean into the last you know three four years on the recruitment side. Mm. With that being so important to you, how, like, always curious to hear people's take on, like, when you're hiring someone, how long do you say it takes to become a true SME? Yeah.
1: How long's a piece of string? But like, do- a, a yeah. realistic time frame. I, I, I think two to three years. Yeah. If, if we're talking about cashing in on being an SME and utilising that network, yeah, I think, I think from my experience and people that I've seen, two to three years is a good time where you start to really see the fruits of the labour that you've put Mm. in for those few years. But it doesn't take long to get those. If you you speak to one candidate and you can come across passionate and interested and knowledgeable about what they're talking about, that one person, the very first person you speak to could well go and give you the recommendation or referral you're looking Mm. for. So yeah, I I think you could get too bogged down in being an SME and researching and getting stuck into all sorts of reading and Wikipedias Mm. and YouTubes about what you do. If you do that on the side and you want to go and further yourself in your market. Fantastic. But yeah, I think to really see the rewards of it, it's a good two, three years.
0: No, I think it's just important for people to hear that.
1: Yeah. Because it is, it probably takes longer than people. Yeah. I'm sure, I mean, we've seen a lot of people that go put onto a desk, maybe had a limited knowledge about it beforehand and then try and spend weeks and months trying to really read and research about it and aren't getting the fruits back from Mm. it necessarily straight away. But it, yeah, being an SME has its, plus points in different timeframes as well. Mm. You, know, you can get the plus points straight away because you can see, as I said earlier, you can you can see the benefit of speaking to someone and understanding that space and what that comes back to. But what I'm also emphasising is that being an SME is really understanding the network, the the market that you're recruiting in and not just about the skill set. And that's a longer one. That mm. that takes a good couple of years.
0: So you saying, okay, that's really interesting. So you're saying, I really like the way that you, how you've broken down the timeline. So in the short term, if I'm listening to this right now, I'm in my first year in recruitment, and I I really buy into the fact that I should be perceived as an SME in my mm-hmm. in my niche. The short term benefits should be that I can understand a lot more of the conversations I'm having day to day, which can mean you know I can ask better questions or I can come across you know more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. But then you're saying the the longer tail benefits are. If I speak to a data scientist, not only can I understand what a typical day looks like for Matt, the data scientist, I can also go when Matt says, oh, I've been running into this problem at the moment. And yeah, there's not many other people in my team that have that experience. You can then go, Matt, I know this other person that has been in your shoes and they're a couple of years ahead. Let me connect you with them. Definitely that. It's definitely the
1: connecting dots. But I think that the million dollar question, whether it's a a candidate or a client that we get every day is, what's the market like? Mm -hmm. And if you're newer to it, and you're not an SME, and you're in the first year of recruitment even, it's really hard to know because you don't have as much information or you don't have as much data to go on Mm. to effectively answer that question. So you you probably waffle your way through Mm. it. But if someone says to you, I'm on X salary, do you think that's a fair reflection? Unless you've spoken to enough people Mm. and you understand what the market looks like, it's really hard to give a really detailed answer to that. But yeah, you're right. I think the, the first part is being an SME and understanding what a candidate does, what a client is looking for in that job spec, mm. um, and also being more effective in your job. If you understand the skill set, you're more likely to hone in and only speak to a few people instead of having to speak to a long short list to go through and then whittling it down and actually not finding the right person anyway. So, But the deeper you can go, the earlier, the better, because mm. you're going to be more effective at actually doing the job and placing mm-hmm. people. But in terms of seeing the longer fruits fruits of it and the hard work that you've done, that does take a couple of years. yeah. Mm.
0: So just to paint a picture then on... Like your role now in terms of what you, I know you said it changes mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. So again, you know, correct me if any of this uh, isn't right, but some of like the the core pillars that would often find in your diary. So on Mondays, you normally always have your one-on-ones with your ADs. Yeah. Two to three days of the week, you might find yourself with key clients or speaking to potential key customers, but involved on the client side, mm-hmm. coaching across all levels. So really getting your hands dirty on just helping the people in this division. Mm-hmm. Internal headhunting, so actually working then on, you know, growing the division by attracting great people. Working with marketing, maybe around like events, different things you have going on. And then you've then got strategic objectives that you're involved in. You might be influencing or have ideas around maybe the the company's BD strategy for your division. And then you're also then like fully exposed to all of the commercial side, the net fee income, the cash flow, new business value. And this is something that you then have to report to. The COO in terms of how you're tracking against budget, EBITDA, P and L, and how often do you do that? Well, weekly at the moment. Weekly, yeah. Yeah, is that fair? That's like a fair yeah, picture. Yeah,
1: it's a lot. It's a big job, sake um,
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think the other bit
1: that's not on there that's really hard to to define is anything that's quite reactionary, and that that was the biggest struggle for me going from a, I suppose, a, 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 an individual contributor, and even my role as a billing manager to them being hands off and just having to prioritise and make sure, as mm. you said there, that's a long list of stuff to go through. So it's, it's taken me a while to get to grasp of where I should spend my time, how I should divide up my mm. weekly, monthly, daily calendar. But there's a huge portion of my time that could, and, and is still at the moment quite reactionary to, I don't know, can you review these terms for me or take aside the coaching bit because I think mm. that that is part of the job that happens mm. on a day-to-day basis. But getting pulled into a meeting that was something that was completely unexpected, whether it's, um, yeah, I don't know, something around invoicing or something that's not happened, mm. that is... A big chunk of my time and I'm learning how to deal with that better so I'm not so reactionary I can take a step back and Mm. be a bit more strategic and and prioritize the jobs that I think
0: are going to benefit have the biggest leverage
1: exactly yeah
0: okay so let's just dive straight in here Mm. I think I want to focus on just this evolution that you've been on in terms of like being a leader being a commercial leader Mm -hmm. you know having these important like the fact that I said to you didn't I that you know, weekly reporting to the CEO on P&L, what's happening, all that, like that's great exposure. And yeah. like, there'll be so many lessons and, and learnings that you're, you're taking from that. So first thing that I'm really curious to get your take on, what does effective managing down look like? So you've mm. got four direct reports mm. and I'm sure you get this stuff that they're saying, so-and-so is this, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so-and-so could be doing better at that. And you might have like individual moments on like the coaching, but really for you to in order for you to be effective, yeah, in your seat, you have to have those effective lines of communication through yeah, the awesome. ads to then you know pass on any like yeah. So talk to us a bit about that. Mm. Like, what did you find difficult about that? Because that that is quite an interesting skill set or something to get better at. Yeah. What did you find difficult about that to start with?
1: Yeah, I, my first role managing managers was actually. Before this role that okay. I'm doing at the moment. So I did have a little bit of exposure to mm. it, and managing one manager was a hell of a lot easier <laughs> than those, as those reports got bigger and bigger. I suppose a lot of it's down to accountability. So mm. if someone says they're going to do something, whether it's the consultant to their manager or manager to me, and back down as well, right? We're all held accountable to each other, mm. and we say we're going to do what we we said, we, sorry, we do what we said we were going to do. Mm. A lot of it's around fact finding. So you know, th- this person's really struggling with BD. What does that mean? What are they actually doing? What is their structure? What is their plan? Are they doing this between this particular time? Talk me through it. How have they actually Mm. gone through it? So I think if I can treat have the conversations that I would do with a consultant the same way that I would with an AD, everyone's got the same goal. Everyone wants to Mm. to achieve. So if I can have those same conversations, it allows them to know what sort of conversation I would be having and have the same ones back. But then a lot of it is around the goals. And like I said, so the fact finding of what is actually going on if someone's struggling or if someone's doing really well and we want to Replicate that elsewhere, do the fact finding, understand what we're looking for, but then set really clear metrics and goals behind that. Mm. So, yeah, if we take my weekly one-to-ones with the ads, for example, sitting down with them, going through individuals in their team, what we're tracking, pipeline,
0: everything else. So, what, what's the agenda? Sorry, it's the button, but like, what's the yeah. agenda for those? Because I think that'll be helpful. So, like the weekly yeah. one-on-ones with the ads. What, what does the agenda look like?
1: Yeah, good question. So, we'll, we'll start with last week. Okay. So, a review of the week before. We use one up. So, yeah, that's the starting point. It's right in front of me. Yeah, go through the individuals in the team. How did they get on? What was the struggles? What was good? What were we meet you know, in terms of clients and who we're meeting this week. What's the pipeline look mm-hmm. like? And then. What individual coaching tasks do we need to do per person this week? That's a rough agenda to go through it. Okay. And by having those conversations on a Monday with the ADs, they then have a very similar one on their one-to-ones with every consultant within it. That took a long time to get to, though. <laughs> the,
0: the, the, <laughs> the, Why? What it, did they look like before? Just, just, a just, just, like venting, just a mess. Just like talking about whatever yeah, seems yeah, important yeah, at the yeah,
1: time. This is going really well, but actually not thinking about the future and what's coming in behind it, or oh, this person's really... Really struggling with X, Y, and Z. So it took me a long time to, I guess, just set a structure that I was comfortable with that I could then hold the ADs accountable to. And now, mm. that, now that they know that, they can do a similar thing and replicate it for their teams mm. as well. I'm sure we'll come on to it, but we went through we went through a merger a few years ago. So there was there was so many moving parts in the business combined with me growing into this role that we've, we've taken a while to get to this point that mm. everyone knows what the format is, what sort of conversation we're going to be having, and they have exactly the same with the level below.
0: Curious. How do you actually walk away from those meetings, and they felt like helpful for the ADs? So what I mean by that is, how do you ensure that I don't? I'm an AD in your team. We sit down Monday and it's just Matt grilling me on numbers and like where they should be, where they're not. Do you know what I mean? How have you approached that? Because yeah. I think that's often, you know, when we work with people at Hector on delivering training with us, a lot of the time it is like people in those seats mm-hmm. and a lot of the time they haven't had much support, if any, mm-hmm. on how to be a better coach, but to be a manager. So like you can help me fact find where the problems are, mm-hmm. but then I might not have the skill set to go, hey Matt, you know, we've been running into this problem a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Let's talk through that and I can effectively coach you to hopefully get a different outcome. Yeah, Because I feel like that's often missed as well. Because if I just go into those meetings and you're like, we're all in the red, what's going on? And it's all about the numbers. I'm probably not going to walk away from that and just not find that helpful. Before we get back to the episode, a real quick message on our podcast sponsors, One Up Sales. Before we dive into our topic of the day around One Up Sales, let's just take a moment to talk about something crucial in growing your recruitment agency business development. The last three years have been a harsh reminder of how quickly things can change and many recruiters are now focused on BD and it's a client-led market for a lot of people. But where do you get started and how do you drive success? That's where our proud sponsor 1UP Sales come into play. This innovative sales performance management platform brings together data from your CRM, sales engagement, and VoIP software into one place, giving you real time insights into business performance and, more importantly, showing you what's working and what's not. With features like custom dashboards, real time analytics, and automated reporting, OneUp gives you visibility you need in minutes, not hours. With OneUp Sales, you're not just running your agency; you're growing your business. Because you listen to this episode and because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get a exclusive discount on OneUp Sales. Click the link in the show notes. Go and check out OneUp Sales. You will not be disappointed. Let me know what you think. I've interviewed plenty of people that use OneUp. So go and check them out, and they are a great tool, particularly if you are really trying to figure out how you can motivate more of your team to do more of that all-important BD activity. Now let's get back to the episode.
1: 100%, and, and for people who are all in the green, doesn't mean things are going perfect yeah. as well, right? It's not all about yeah that, that green amber, <laughs> like, um, red traffic light system. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and look, I, I don't always have the answer. So I think that fact-finding exercise is very two-way. There's lots of tips and advice I'm sure I can, I can share with people, but it might be, cool, we've identified what we think might be a problem for this particular consultant to go and work on. Let's bring in the expertise. We've got a really collaborative space. So we'll, let's bring in the expertise from who we think is a good person. So you know, talk about BD, we've done that as an example already. So yeah, this person is really struggling to get conversations with hiring managers that seems like they've got all their all their network, but they're mm. just really struggling to convert it into an actual conversation. Who's a really good person? Go through some coaching exercises or co- coach out of the ADs and what they can do with that consultant. But then try and find the expertise in the business, who is really good at converting mm. those leads into into something and go and get them to spend half an hour, 45 minutes. Make sure both sides are prepped on it because it can mm. be quite intimidating of, you know, get this person who's quite junior or struggling to go and sit with a, a principal or a director or one of the top builders. But if you, if you give context on why that meeting's taking place, is that you're obviously struggling with A at the moment. This person's fantastic at it. Let's get you in a room and see how they do it and what you can mm. learn from it as well.
0: I really like that now, I think that's often missed. A lot of companies I speak with don't leverage that internal expertise. Mm-hmm. They just rely on people having the courage to ask for help. Yeah, and people oftentimes don't don't have that, or like don't find the right moment, or mm-hmm. even though you can say until you're blue in the face, like open door policy, reach out when you can. It still relies on that person to have the courage to ask for help. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> I, I
1: suppose that's the beauty of my role is it allows me to have a, a slightly higher level view on the strengths and weaknesses or where we are at any point in time. Mm. So it could be in those Monday sessions that Associate Director 1 is finding a struggle with Consultant 1, Associate Director 2 is also finding a very similar struggle with one of their consultants. Let's do a little workshop. Let's get a Mm. few people together. It can be the broader um, function in my case because let's make it less intimidating and less feel like a
0: boot camp for those that are struggling. But let's just treat it as a little workshop and get everyone in together. Yeah, I really like that. Curious then, just to... Talk to you about being in the seat that you're just talking about in terms of you get like a really unique perspective mm. we've spoken about bd but i'd love to just hear your take and your experiences of this year obviously you guys mm. do a lot of business in tech right mm, a lot yeah so for most people i've spoken to it's been a real challenging year particularly more like the, the first half of the year so being in you know the seat that you're in what like It'd be probably useful just to hear, like what have you found to be the common challenges mm. that you've seen teams, people run into this year? What's ended up being a real common stumbling block? Yeah,
1: I think you're right. It's, been, it's definitely been a
0: tougher year for us this year. I think where we were semi-lucky,
1: and we've also come on to a question about what have we done differently... Because we focus on a skill set and, mm. and yeah, I guess, a niche or a job title rather than an industry. You know, we're not an FS company, mm. FS recruitment agency. We're not a, just a purely tech recruitment agency. Yeah. Our client list has always been quite diverse, whether that be the age and the size of the business right through to the actual industry and sector. So we actually noticed, well, the leadership team noticed probably... August, September, there was starting to be a drop-off globally because, you know, we've got some other offices elsewhere and the US was starting to see a dip before the UK. So the warning signs were there quite early. So mm. we got together very early on and said, how can we combat this if the market does start to really tighten? And step number one for us was identifying industries or client base that we thought we could really maximise. So there's some... I guess a bit of common sense around what industries we think would be semi-recession proof or which ones could do quite well out of this. But then the second part was who have we got really good penetration with at the moment or, or even who do we not but we can expand on? So we've, we've had loads of something we haven't really done for a while, again, sounds quite obvious, but loads of weekly client strategy sessions internally as a leadership team to work out exactly that. Step number one, who do we not work with or what industries do we not work with at the moment that we want to? And step number two, how do we wrap our arms around those that we think could still see us through this? And it's it's 100% paid dividend. It's, it's been... A slightly different way of working, to be honest with you.
0: What's paid dividends, sorry, the weekly client strategy? Like just having an intentional space each week to talk about those two things?
1: Exactly that, yeah. yeah. And again, holding each other accountable. If someone says... ABC Limited. I want to really expand on them. Cool. Let's identify some hiring managers within ABC Limited. Let's put a little task force together to go and introduce ourselves, map it out as an organization, and then let's report back next week on where we're up to with each of that. You know, a week in recruitment is nothing; it'll it'll completely fly by. But at least we're then tracking it on a weekly basis on where we're getting up to with that client. But it's it's, as I said, very different way of working for us. You know, traditionally, because we've been focused on a skill set or a job title, historically we would work age consultant maybe 30 40 vacancies at any one time and it was much more tailored to the candidate so you could speak to a candidate and whatever they were interested in or looking for we we ch- generally have a role on our roster mm. that could be suitable for them and then all of a sudden the job vacancies were dropping and dropping and dropping and we've now had to be much more client driven you know it's just the traditional going from a candidate driven market to mm. a job driven market but i think appreciating that and not just saying oh it'll be fine we'll just stick to our way of working implementing these client strategy sessions were 100 percent a game changer for us
0: and are you are you doing
1: those with individuals or your ADs? It's not necessarily just ADs. It's whoever we think has got, you know, we'll, we'll pull people in. So right. if there's a client that one of the junior consultants is working with, but they've got a good relationship with them, cool, let's bring them in. And them. So it's not just the leadership team or management team. It's us that set it up and, and it's mm. up and running with it, but it's any anyone who we think is relevant for it.
0: I love that. Honestly, you'd be just so, so many people don't like make space for stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. That all they're making sure people are doing is doing the eight hours of BD a week.
1: Yeah. BD is a never-ending task, right? Mm. I mean, if you say go and do BD, most people will go and sit on the adverts, see what adverts are up there, put a couple of specs mm. together and fire it out. BD can just be so much more interesting and so much more exciting if you actually put a little task force and strategy behind it. Yeah, like understand how and why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And also buddying people up, right? That example I mentioned earlier of someone who might be a more junior consultant, perhaps. That's a great exposure for them to maybe work with a couple Mm. of other more senior people who've been doing it a lot longer, but Mm. buddying up and actually getting a little task force together to go and tackle that client.
0: Okay, let's just talk about this for a sec, just because, one, clearly that's been impactful. Mm. And people listening, this could be something that they could sort of consider implementing in in their teams. Mm. So you said with the client strategy, so like basically... Saw signs early on. So Ben, mm-hmm. then basically you made a decision that each week you're going to make intentional time to talk about, you yeah, know, what are we doing specifically on the client side mm-hmm. that we feel is going to be, you know, a smart choice with our time and, you know, equip people with like a plan and like you said, hold each other accountable. So just talk to me about how long are these sessions typically?
1: About an hour now. Like, they were long to start with because step number one was the the mapping out of who we want to even go to. So that, that was quite long winded. I think one one of the key things we learned over time was the shorter the list, the better. You don't want hundreds of companies on this because it's just going to be this never ending task that actually defeats the purpose of what it's meant to be, which is really tailored, really specific, a list that we think is going to maximise opportunity for us. So that was, I think we've we got down to 10, 10 per section, so 10 that we don't work with that we want to and 10 that we do work with that we want to continue and expand.
0: Okay, so, you, so basically the first step was... Who are they? Who, yeah who yeah. who are we going after, and yeah. you break it down into two categories yeah who do we not work with that we want to yeah and who do we currently work with or have terms with that we feel like we could be doing way more with, yeah on the first category, what ended up being like the key bits in terms of why did they make it into that category?
1: yeah, it was', it was mainly size and space, so. Some example, energy for example mm. obviously it it's doing doing all right
0: <laughs> yeah. so energy clients were a big
1: one for us and we weren't going to specifics but we broke yeah. into a couple off the back of that task alone looking for ones that were the, the sexier brands or the vcs mm. were probably the ones to avoid for us you know in, in a tighter market vc-led businesses were less likely to go and do huge rounds of um, yes. of recruitment so i think swerving those which were traditionally a, a huge client base for us that, that was our sweet spot is series a through to ipo type mm. businesses and helping them scale um so actually swerving them as much as possible. And probably more the traditional household brands, of FTSE 100 organisations. Mm. But again, spreading our bets a little
0: bit, so looking at telco, energy, oil and gas, mm. and,
1: and really spreading it that way.
0: So, did you have people come to those sessions with, "Hey, Matt, these are the clients that I think I want to put in this category"? Everyone, yeah, everyone. So everyone came. Like the task was, right, guys, I want you to identify clients that, yeah, you don't work with, you want to, that you might that you got terms with, that you're not doing as much with, and then they'd come to that session and then you'd break it all down together on like if they should stay in that category or not exactly that
1: yeah i think so going back to your question of, of um why them as well one thing I forgot to mention is obviously they have a team or have a need for the skill set we recruit yeah sure so you're yeah, looking at ones have that, a, they
0: have a problem that you feel like that you can solve for them y-
1: yes maybe not even necessary problem yet because we don't know but at least that they've got some sort of function there or we think there is a good use case for a function They're is in line there? with your skill set exactly, yeah.
0: Okay, so that took a couple of weeks to get it whittled down to Mm. a core list of companies that was manageable for people to take consistent action on over a week. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first step, which I think, one, for anyone listening, if if your consultants can't tell you at least 10 that go in both those categories, or maybe Mm. just the first category because they haven't got any terms signed, missing a trick or making it more harder for them because then you're making it very clear just giving them really clear companies and brands to be going after rather than just yeah i think that just helps you know having a clear direction yeah, so we've done that and then what did the sessions then consist of so if i'm coming to that session you're like okay look these companies look great Hisham, mm. yeah definitely and these companies over here as well perfect that's a really good list what yeah. are we then focusing on
1: yeah again it took a few weeks to get the format but where we've kind of landed up to is then in task force per consult uh, per client. Sorry. So what does task force mean? Teams are three or four. So yeah, let's t- call them ABC Limited. Um, so mm. trying to make sure there is someone the the four skill sets we recruit in terms of data, software, cloud, and product making sure there is one person from each of those sub-teams from Exceeds who's going to go and try and map out their space within that client. Right. So it doesn't always need to be the leadership, it doesn't always need to be a principal consultant. As I said, really trying to get other people bought into what we're doing, just a different way of thinking. Um, so making sure there is a task force of, said, three or four people per client, and then what sort of metrics or information do we want to come back with next week? So it's a bit easier for the ones that we've already got the terms with or we've already worked with and placed with. That is much more around... I guess drawing a little, we drew up a nice grid of where have we transacted internally with each of those clients. So if we've already transacted in data, products, right. software and clouds, wicked. they're a gold client for us. How do we get even more out of them? Mm. And that might be leveraging on those relationships with TA and HR to maximise that a bit further, selling different solutions to see if we can get some retained or exclusive work within there. But then the easiest one actually is looking through that grid and seeing where the gaps are. So we might have transacted with them in data, but we've never transacted with them Mm. them Mm. in the others. And those conversations, those clients that we're bringing on board, those jobs we're now pulling have taken a long time to get Mm. to there. So again, anyone listening, it's, it's the patience with it. I know it's the most frustrating thing to hear. But yeah, we haven't had a golden bullet. As you said, it's been our events, it's been our podcasts, It's been our webinars. A lot of it's just been showcasing work that we've done in their specific area. So Mm. whether it's a competitor we've placed with or companies that are in and around their world. How how do you
0: showcase that there? Like case studies, one pages?
1: packs, Yeah, PDF packs. Not so much one pages because I think there's there's quite a bit of information we can put on there. So yeah, the more packs we can provide, the better. We've got our standards, client brochure, and then we'll just add a few slides that are specific Mm. to that client or that sector and in that industry.
0: I mean, you'd be surprised how many people don't have that. I
1: mean, so it, this is the thing. We, we've only done it off the back of this as Really? Well.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh. We've, we've, we've had a client brochure, but it's been so generic. But it wasn't specific. So you're like, mm. that's what makes it more impactful, right?
1: Yeah. But this, our marketing team are wicked, so we work very closely with them to make sure that we've got a every consultant has access to the share drive so they can get their own, um, what do you call it? But yeah, the, 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 the amendable packs basically. And then there's the right, temporary energy, pro- like energy exactly. and products
0: or whatever. Yeah.
1: And then a lot of it is, okay, if I'm new to it and I'm going to go and target an energy business, what energy clients have we, um, have worked with before? Work with, yeah. And that's, it's not on a CRM, you know, we don't yet have a, something that we can segment based on industry and get all the testimonials ready made. So there is a bit of work going in the background mm. to get to that point where it's a nice polished brochure, a nice introduction that goes out so that someone actually opens it, okay, these guys know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, it's not just what you're saying to me, it's there's evidence that I can point at. Exactly, yeah. Just curious and like what's ended up in these packs? Is it just a combination of testimonials? Is it we reduce their hiring time to this? This podcast is proudly partnered... With VinCherry, VinCherry are dominating scores across all review sites at the moment. Are you a recruitment business leader searching for a system to steer your entire recruiting operation to scale? Vinchery is not just a pretty interface. It's a comprehensive all-in-one platform that's proven to boost productivity and ROI. It's an award-winning recruitment software trusted by over 20,000 recruitment agency leaders worldwide. VinCherry empowers you and your consultants to take your agency to the next level. Just don't take my word for it. You can head over to places like Capterra, Trust Radius, G2 and Trustpilot, where you're going to see hundreds and thousands of top-tier ratings that speak for themselves. Because you listen to this podcast, you're able to get exclusive savings on this brilliant product. So check the link in the show notes, head over to VinCherry and get your hands on the discount and check out VinCherry as a system for your business. I can't remember off the top of my head all
1: all the individual bits, but a lot of it is introduction to exceed, the skillsets we recruit, high level testimonials for us as a business generally, so Mm. some key logo brands, a page that then specific to that industry with logos of competitors or people that we've placed in and around there. And then some quotes from four or five people. Again, the more varied in terms of someone from product, someone from data, someone from tech, the better. We've got one page which is around the service level offering that we can provide, whether it's contingent, retained. Mm. We've got one page in there that is specific to what we do within the community around our events and our webinars and everything else. And then one that's a link to our salary guide. So I think altogether it's just a nice push. This is who Exceed are and what we do, but you can tell it's tailored to them. Tailored to them, yeah.
0: I love that. No, I appreciate you sharing that. I know, as you'll as you know, like so many people have struggled, like I just really like how start to see a problem, come up with a solution, you refine that over time mm. and now it sounds like you've got a process that actually has ended up being really valuable to have in your, in your teams to be doing yeah. on a weekly and basis. It, and it's
1: constantly improving as well, right? Mm. Like I think, assuming that you've got to the, the end goal is the worst thing you can do yeah. by constantly improving, whether it's the packs that we're putting together and people have got different ideas. Maybe it's moving away from a pack altogether and mm. doing a video introduction or something. Mm. But I think keeping fresh and making sure, A, so it's enjoyable, so that the job itself, because BD can be quite a thankless task. Mm. So by having these task force, it feels quite quite interesting. It's a bit more project-based. Yeah, I
0: like that you. like that it's not... I, I do also like that, obviously, you've got the benefit of the different skill sets and the different divisions but I do like that idea of the task force because then you can sort of bounce off each other and be like oh Matt I managed to get into like I spoke to the data person how are you getting on with the product person like I think that's a quite smart way to talk to me then about like I wanted to frame this up in a way where what was the beginning steps of Matt now having to understand P&L and these things Mm -hmm. like when did that start to happen
1: um I couldn't even put a, a specific date on it. It's, it's bit more and more so as the months go by. I think probably tail end of 2021 was when I was in my non-billing role. And that was the first time I almost single-handedly took responsibility for a budget um so august august 2021 i kind of i think i did my last deal then And september october time we were starting to put together the nfi budget for next year and that was the first time it wasn't just a okay cool what's the nfi and the nbv going to be for a team how does that trickle down to EBITDA? it was a learning curve and still is a learning curve on the importance of it and we talked about cash flow Mm. and invoice and everything else that comes with it but i think by spending more time with my CEO at the point in time and also our CFO now on on the importance of it and learning through it. I'm quite lucky my wife is an accountant, so that helps. Okay, I've got nice. a little bit of an insight she to it. But
0: yeah. Probably formally this time two years ago, give or take. As you started that and as you continue learning about that, executing the reports, looking at your important dashboards, what was you most surprised by is what I'm interested in. So mm. someone listening to this right now. They're a recruiter. They might have aspirations to get to where you got to or become an associate director or whatever. Mm. With those set of glasses on, like, mm. what do you think they'd be most surprised by? Is it how long it takes typically to get paid? Or I don't know, like, what were some of the things you're like, oh, that's really interesting how that works? Or I didn't expect yeah. that. Yeah, how, l- how long it takes
1: to get paid, definitely. I'm trying to think of the other one. I, I suppose the actual conversion rate. So we uh, it maybe it's specific to us as a business and the pain points we've had over the last few years. But seeing a phenomenal month of what I thought was NFI and what that equates to at the end. And then also trying to then... Explain that because we're really transparent. Explain that back to the sales floor on, you know, it may feel like we're absolutely killing it, but we need, we still need to work on these areas yeah. and that's why we need to, a lot of it has come from a merger. So there was very bloated costs that, mm. you know, not just about headcount or anything like that, but things like insurance and loads of other bits that I've never even <laughs> considered and that ultimately trickles down to the bottom line. So I think that that was a biggest one, maybe specific to me at my point in time and where the company was that... The business uh, 2021, 2022 was a phenomenal year for recruitment, mm. but actually EBITDA. I was looking at, it, I was like, Sure we're making more money. Than that. <laughs> but it's um yeah, I think I think that was the biggest, may- maybe not a learn, but I guess just the biggest shock. And then okay, how can we? Or well, you never would have had to think about that before. No. No, 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 it's true. I think the other one, which is uh, I was already f- already familiar with, but is the the difference in motivation between MBV and NFI, and that's obviously from a, from a perm point of view, contracts maybe a bit a mm. bit more transparent because you is what you're tracking on a mm-hmm. weekly weekly basis with your, your runner book but seeing a phenomenal month of MBV so wait let just explain that sorry for yeah, people, so, yeah. so MBV for us is uh, new business value so whatever I, I, I place a candidate today put the deal through once they've to all the boxes that we're happy with for compliance. That goes, goes on the board. That, that goes on the board. That's our MBV. NFI is when we actually get paid or when the company gets paid. So in perm, uh, especially in the UK, let's say people have got a three-month notice. I do a deal today in October. That candidate might not start till January. The NFI then comes through in January, get paid commission in February. So it was a slightly different... you know. We get paid on candidate startings, that's already part of your thinking process, Mm. but it's celebrating, most of the celebrations we have in terms of our our incentives, our lunch clubs, our holidays is all around MBV. And I do think that's the right way of doing it for us as a business anyway, is because we want to be constantly driving new activity rather than the same top pillars sitting on their NFI and getting on the incentives. That's not Mm. really what it's about. That was another one as well is... Great NBV doesn't necessarily equal NFI in that quarter or mm. in that month. So trying to actually try and track it um, and look at the seasonality behind it as well, because there's seasonality behind placing candidates and doing deals, but there's huge seasonality on when those candidates are going to start the job. Um, so like so, tracking for
0: that? Yeah.
1: What bit so de- the biggest... December's, what? December's a ghost town. Right? Really? Hardly anyone start... Well in- in my case anyway hardly anyone starts in December Mm. so allowing for that seasonality and step number one for me when I did my first ever budget which is something to learn from was okay let's go through go through the individuals so Joe Bloggs this is what I think they're going to do this year and I just divided it by 12 (laughs) <laughs> well, really? that's what an NFI would be then just to, yeah, let's, let's say they're 120k why did you think to divide it by 12? just just in terms of ease of month right. and then uh, very quickly got pushed back to me and said have you thought about when those NFIs are actually going to land and the seasonality behind it I was like, oh, Okay, that makes that makes sense um, so the, the whole way through this has been quite a, a good learning curve
0: I, I do think I think I said to you I did a, a post about it this week where I think if people were to go out on their own and start their own recruitment business that's often one of the things yeah. that they do maybe like not didn't think of but underestimate yeah so have you now found yourself trying to impact how quickly the nfi is in terms of you know have people talk about payment terms and negotiate those things mm. in the process because they're the types of things that you can try to implement or communicate or have people do more effectively that can help with NFI. Yeah. No, yeah,
1: definitely. I think you said it yourself. It's, it's an education piece. Mm. So the more... I, I didn't have that exposure from someone saying to me, this is why we want 30-day payment terms <laughs> yeah. or 14-day payment terms instead of 60 that the client have asked for, and that's why it's important to negotiate. At the point when you're billing 99% of it, Yeah, you just, you just want the term signed, you? Mm. you want to place a candidate, and you want to move on to the next one. So that is... Yeah, something I have been aware of, and then I have always been quite an open and transparent person. And anything I learn, I want to try and impart on those mm. that that are interested, and obviously will will be um, will be relevant for. So explaining to them, you know, the consultants who is agreeing new terms on, oh, do I need to push back on it being fifty day or forty five day payment terms? let's try, let's go through it. This is mm. what you can explain to the client. This is why you, why it is important for us as a business as well. My focus is perm. So I can understand it having now had some exposure to the wider business, I get it even more so from a contract point of view. Mm. Um, Cause I think we, we talked about it mm. um, earlier in the week about some really big projects that we've landed and our CFO having kittens about it, because actually we don't get paid and sorry, we, we, Pay the can um, the contractors, contractors up yeah. in advance, and then we're not getting the money back until for x, x amount of days. So the cash flow for us is so so important, and that's mm. that's something I've never really had to think about in my roles up until the last couple of years.
0: Mm. And then how how did you find those first few reports up? upwards? Were you nervous? Was it what what went wrong? What? Not really, because it wasn't a no, it
1: wasn't a change overnight. It's not mm. as though these have been you know, Matt's doing this role now, and then tomorrow it's going to change and it's be completely different. A lot of this has been. Transition. I've said so I've been at the business for a long time, so a lot of the people I've been reporting up to have had the journeys as I have as well. It's been an easier transition than maybe some other people experience, where it is a flick of a switch and going through it. But as I said, there's not. I don't know. Hopefully, this, this isn't just exceeding. It is the wider <laughs> recruitment industry. But there's no point in trying to catch people out. If I'm nervous about reporting back up, then ultimately I'm probably going to fumble something along the way. I'd much rather report something up that is inaccurate, e.g don't do a, just a divide by 12 for what you think the NFI is going to be. Have you thought about it this way? And and mm. that, that
0: ethos is what we've got as a business. So n- not really. That wasn't something I was too nervous about. Mm. And then, like you said, just just be curious. So like the weekly things you do now, what, what do you report on a weekly basis? So yeah, the starting point will be the NFI. NFI and MBV, so... What we do last
1: week? Where does that fall into? How does that track against the budget that we've put in place? And then there's a similar conversation to what I have with the ads. So how less less granular, so yeah. less around individual consultants, but it will be how was last week as a as a function? Did we hit our KPIs? Did we not hit our KPIs? What does mm. that mean? What's the impact? What clients are we meeting this week? So most of it's just about a sounding board, and it's me talking to uh, Adam, our COO, and and talking to him about the week that we've had, and him
0: bouncing some ideas back off. We work quite well as a pair. Mm. When you're getting the, the direct access to the, the CEO, what, what's what been some of the sort of most memorable or best bits of advice is imparted on you, do you think? Hmm. Most of it is to
1: trust my instinct or, or at least go with it because you know, same as the people underneath me, that we promote people because we believe they should be. So by stepping into this role someone, some point <laughs> along the way had faith in me that I can go and do this. Mm. Now, this, this is probably the biggest jump in terms of a learning curve, you know, mm. going from a, a senior principal type person to a manager. I, I had the coaching stuff in me already so that this is by far the biggest jump because there's a whole new tool set that I'm having to learn. But just, I think, just having the the faith that someone out there has believed in me to go and do this role. So then passing that back on to me that I can go and do it. Um, and if it's not something I'm familiar with,
0: ask for help. Mm. And then curious, because there's a lot of different things... Like we said at the beginning, like a lot, there's a lot on that list that you could be doing. You're trying to figure out to get better at, like being like less reactive, but maybe that's always going to be part of your role. So just curious to hear your take on like right now from your perspective, because you've been doing this for a couple of years now. What do you think are some of, if not the like highest leverage activities you can spend your time on? Mm. A lot of client. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. Especially at the moment where we are job lighter, sorry, lighter for, for jobs than we're used to. The more I can be bringing in, the more I can be on those meetings and maximising. That's not to mean that i am better than anyone mm. in the business necessarily but i have a fancier job title which is mm. part of it right so if i'm going to go and meet a, a head of ta head of hr or even some c-suites within the business just by being there add some credibility to the consultant mm. that i'm going with or a couple of the consultants i'm going with but that's the main thing you know the more clients we can be winning or maximizing the more jobs the more deals we're going to be doing mm. and ultimately the, the, the quicker we progress
0: as a business so that's one of the things that has always got to stay yeah. Yeah should yeah, have definitely. that should trickle down in terms of having one of the biggest impacts definitely on your function yeah I love that yeah I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that I think also like you, by you going to those meetings you're staying close to the problems in your industry what people mm-hmm. are talking about you can then also you know offer your perspective you can talk about how you're seeing this in the in the data industry that could be impacting mm. the product industry I don't know exactly how it works but yeah, yeah. you've got a really great unique perspective that you can I'm, I'm sure you can add for sure in those things as well Speaking about BD, I think something that you said you you pride yourself on is thinking outside the box. <laughs> yeah, can <laughs> to tell us a story about how you landed oh, delivery? No. Then
1: I hope no one from work listens to this. Why does no one know? Uh, no, no, no it's, it's it's just they're fed up hearing it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, it's um. Well, look, when, when I was a, this is probably two or three years into the job, I just got bored of doing the same sort of BD approaches, right? Mm. That I think keep them. You have to do the basics. You have to mm. do your spec and you have to do your outreaches. You have to do your intros. But I quite like just trying to do something new. So as, um, as cheesy as it was with, uh, <laughs> so this was Deliveroo as they were, I think ser- Series A at the time. So quite quite a smaller business than they are now. And um, they were growing their first data team. And I remember seeing, uh, I think someone from Netflix, it's an really incredible caliber candidate, join them as their chief. So I thought, That's, you're not hiring someone of that calibre, if so you're not going to go and expand the team. Mm. And um, their office was a five-minute walk from ours. So after relentless approaches being rejected and just turned down and just radio silence, I um, took myself to get a box of Krispy Kremes, print out a couple of, uh, well, had, took our client brochure with us and a couple of anonymous CVs. And I think the, the tagline I put on the note was, um, you've been delivering to me for the last few months, I'd love to deliver some candidates to you. <laughs> Lo and behold, it became a good client for us, so it did pay off. But, um, but like what, you walked into the reception? Walked into reception. And, and said dropped what? Him off, dropped him off. Uh, oh, what? you yeah. dropped
0: him off. You didn't like try off. and speak well, to someone? I did,
1: but the guy wasn't there. So, so uh, what, what did uh, you say? Like, is so-and-so here? You, yeah. Is so-and-so here? Can you, uh, well, he wasn't, so can you leave these for him? So if he was, uh, what would you have said? Uh, How would you approach that? No, probably same as what was on the note. So, yeah, I've been pestering you. Why have you not answered my messages? Really? <laughs> no. Yeah, a lot of it would have been in the, the, the colder intro. This is who I am. I know it's really cheesy, but I think just by doing that alone would get some sort of interaction, right? Mm. Well, and then you just got a phone call. Yeah, I got a message a few weeks later, say thanks for the donuts. Not even like... Oh, so a few weeks later as well? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't straight away at all, no. <sighs> Kep, kept me stewing. But this is the thing with BD, right? Unless you get very, very lucky, it's about timing. Mm. And I think where people struggle is that they they give up too early or they maybe do one or two approaches and then nothing back from them they've got no interest and move Mm. on to the next one but these things take a lot of time I know Mm. there's all sorts of sales analogies about the ninth approach 10th approach or whatever but it's it's true 100% so I I think the worst thing that someone can do earlier in their
0: career is pick up a job (laughs) off the first approach because then you think that's how it (laughs) it does if you've got any other maybe it doesn't have to be yours but any other ideas that people have tried A real quick one from me, and we'll get straight back into the conversation. Some of you may or may not be aware that I'm also the founder of a business called Hector. Hector is an all-in-one training platform for recruitment founders to maximize team performance. The reason why I'm sharing this with you is because if you are someone that is enjoying this podcast week after week, you might even share this podcast with your colleagues, then I'd love to connect with you. Our training platform is powered by top performers delivering practical training for today's market. We believe training a lot of the time in the recruitment industry is dated, is stale, is delivered by people that did it 5, 10, 15 years ago, and we are completely going against that. So a lot of the people that you're able to learn on this podcast, you're able to learn even more from at Hector. So if you'd love to, you know, find out more about how we could potentially help you get more out of your people, ramp up their performance more quickly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn or click the link in the show notes where you'll be able to book a call with us. Let's get straight back into the episode.
1: Not cheesy ones like that. A lot of our stuff at the moment, especially is is events led Mm. Um, to go and loop back to that subject matter expertise, but we held an event this Tuesday and the amount of clients that I've been trying and trying and trying you get them in a room, and actually, they can see that you you host something good, and there's mm. some good credibility behind it. And then, without any prompting, they come up to you and say, "Oh, I know you've been speaking to us. Actually, now might be a good time to talk about mm. recruitment." It's just one of those things, but yeah, we we've seen really good success from event led things, whether it's round tables, webinars, and um, start a podcast series. Actually, mm. so that that'll be coming out soon. But these in person networking events, definitely.
0: And like, where do you often see like the net positive of that? Is it that in you know having a reason to reach out to people? Is it that isn't, like, jobs and the typical, like, Mm. stuff? Is it the the follow-up where it's really powerful? Is it just being in a room with these people and then it feels like maybe a bit more of a safe space to... Yeah, and I think credibility,
1: right? Mm. I think if people come to something and they see the brand and they associate it with something that's great in their space, then there's that positive recognition there. Mm. The only risk I would say with having a reason to speak to someone is we see it sometimes where people can fall into the trap of becoming event managers and event bookers and forgetting that actually why we're speaking to these people, Mm. yes, there's the long-term relationship build, but actually it's recruitment, right? That's, That's the end goal of why we're trying to do all of these things is to help clients build their teams. And I think if you do so many events and webinars and round tables people can get so lost in that that they forget the day to day so I think your, your first point of do you do these just because it's another point to talk to people about? Yes, if it's the right measurement of it. But I think the main the main thing is the credibility. You know, we don't organize an event expecting to come away with ten jobs or ten mm. new clients or anything like that. that. That'd be great. But a lot of it is about those longer term relationships and that brand recognition within that community
0: and your your the perception of your credibility, what you're For about, sure. increasing. Yeah. No, you are right. It's it's just that it is that I think that's often why sometimes when I speak to recruitment founders, they feel like it is going to end up being just about that and mm. there isn't that conversion mm. but I know it is I would I don't know if you'd agree but I, I would say you know leaning into that type of approach it is like a you're definitely going to get tons of net positive things happening in the long term but you should definitely experience short-term medium-term yeah. wins as well but I think it is just as simple as making sure if you do speak to anyone about it, and that's your reason why you're reaching out to them that You will say, this is why we put these together. This is the purpose of them. If you do attend, this is what to expect. And look, you know, before I leave you or like why we do these, it's because exceed with this. And we do that, like just educating people on this is what we're about. This is what we do. This is what we're different. This is just part of, you know, what we're trying to deliver for our network to Mm. hopefully provide even more value to the people that we work with day in, day out. Yeah, I think sometimes people miss like, yeah, like, educating people on, you know, th- this is why we do this and this is what we do at our business. Yeah. And
1: and the follow-ups with it as well, mm. right? Because it's all very well having that conversation there and then. But it's the follow-up meeting, call, mm. whatever it be on the stuff. back of it, yeah.
0: So talk to me about, as we come to the end here then, talk to me mm. about what, like, you're in a really unique position. You've you've made some really good adjustments, like the client strategy sessions, which, which I, I really loved. Like, going into next year then, mm. like, what are you remaining laser focused on what is it that you're really thinking like that needs to be in your top three agendas like what's really top of mind going into next year when we're thinking about performance and, and your function yeah it's been a learning year for us so i think going away from
1: as I said job-led 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 also oh, candidate driven but in a, in a job-led market And now it's much more about quality in everything that we do. Mm. So we're putting together our whole sounds again, going back to basics, but everything from the candidate experience through to someone onboarded and post service. So what what does every single step look like? It times in with a new CRM rollout for us as well. So there's there's reasons behind it. But that is step number one. Is how do we maintain? How do we manage? Make sure that every single touch point with exceed is a high quality service I love that. so that's that's the free bd <laughs> if you're if you're providing a good quality service, then that's exactly what candidates mm-hmm. and clients want to work with um, and that's what makes people memorable memorable and then coming back to totally right. um so number one is moving into this quality leads focus. We've got our own, I know you're going to ask me what they are, I can't remember off the top of my head, but that, we've got our own metrics that we're measuring for the three C's, candidates, clients, and colleagues. Okay. So every Q launch, we have our quarterly launches. We're now talking about those three C's and four measurements per see of right. what quality, how, how we can track the quality. So to give I'm you sure, an MPS example. MPS be in there, net promoter score. Cool. Yeah. So I think, think like on the client side, yes, if, if reviews is one bit of it, but a good quality client for us, not just a good quality interaction with exceed to a client, what does a good quality client look like? And once upon a time, we would have said all oh, the sexy logos and really mm. cool tech companies, but actually a dream client for us is one that is is transacting in multiple locations ideally, but also multiple um, skill sets with us. And that is a good quality client. So tracking... On a quarter by quarter basis, how many clients are what we call a gold client that's mm. operating in all of those services there? And I think just that having that slight shift in mentality of okay, we talk about quality, but how do we measure that? How do we measure it? Made um, that really clear. And those three C's there, and again, not just our colleagues, uh, not just our clients and our candidates, but the colleagues, colleagues as well. How do we make sure this is a really quality business to work for, and that people enjoy working
0: here and, and feel valued? Exciting. I think the the person before you, uh, Abby, we spoke like she's really passionate about that and i think that is again something that i feel like a modern day recruitment business is going to have to like really lean into because as you just said the way you described it let's be honest yeah free bd mm-hmm. but also i think if you really lean into delivering a like world class experience for clients for candidates for colleagues it then just helps everything yeah, for sure. right um and also what that should feel like a fun exercise. Like how can we how can we make each step amazing? Mm. I think that's a great thing to be focusing on and thinking about. Yeah, and have that pride with it. Mm. Think, yeah. Matt, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I think you've been Appreciate on an awesome journey. Uh, I think clearly like there's still gonna be tons more to learn, mm. like really exciting what you're gonna continue to be exposed to, how you're gonna help drive the business forward. I think this is what I love about our industry. Like you've started as a salesperson, mm-hmm. right? You know, recruiter, and now you're in the rooms with people that have built successful businesses. You're involved in how you become more profitable. Mm. Like this is the great thing about industry. There's so much you can learn for sure, right? And especially if you keep progressing and you want to down, go down this leadership route, like all these things you're learning are just just valuable forever. Yeah, I think
1: we, we touched on this earlier in the week, didn't we? That recruitment is a career. Yeah, and I think there are so many, so many people that fall into recruitment for want of a better phrase. But it, and it took me probably a couple of years to realise this can be a career this Mm. doesn't need to be something that I'm just bumbling into and not sure what I'm going to do later on in life and Mm. yeah I've I've been really lucky I've had a wicked journey with exceed and um, I think they've opened my eyes to this being a career Mm. and I'm I'm really keen to instill that opportunity in others underneath me as well it's not just okay this is wicked for me (laughs) I'll go down my own little journey now Mm. I want to try and take people through the education pieces that I'm having now and uh, everything from a consultant understanding why payment terms is important and that all that all leads to so
0: I think that's a great thing to
1: love it Matt it's been a pleasure likewise (laughs) appreciate it thank you very much
0: thank you so much for listening to this week's episode I hope there were plenty of golden nuggets for you to take away as you know i'm your host here of the recruitment mentors podcast but i'm also the founder of recruitment mentors we're a online subscription-based learning and education platform we're on a mission to help thousands of recruiters achieve their professional goals and successfully progress their careers through modern and engaging online learning If you're a recruitment business owner listening to this, there's a good chance that you value self-development, personal development. You're trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement but we've partnered with a number of grown recruitment companies who were struggling to understand how they can invest more in their people how they can upskill them more quickly without spending more time without having to spend thousands of pounds of external trainers and we've ended up being a really great fit modern fit for recruitment teams we can ultimately help you get more out of your teams by giving your people access to modern and engaging online learning which they can access on demand